City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. Welcome to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every single angle. If you like what you hear, and maybe this is your first time listening with the start of the season, please go subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a five-star review. And also be aware, the All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Uh, today's show, Chase, big one. We need to bring our A-game today. Um, first show before the season starts. We got a lot to cover. We have the the Hornets roster, which is set and finalized. We are previewing you the first game of the season against the Atlanta Hawks, and then finally a little segment we're doing that we think that's true, that definitely is true, and maybe that's not true. Talking about some random topics from the the Hornets universe. Um, so Chase, a lot to get through, but how are you doing? I'm doing very well. We are finally in opening week. We've been waiting about like five long months since the Hornets stopped playing, but we are here. We got a lot to get through today. There's been a ton of Hornets news in just the last couple of days as teams trim down their roster ahead of the Monday evening deadline. The Hornets have released their opening night roster, and we are finally ready to get this thing off and rolling here. Yeah, I mean, and and since we last spoke, we spoke last time worrying a little bit about some of the injuries to the the depth of the backcourt, and we said if there are any more injuries then this team's in a real issue, and there has been. And a long-term one, right? Frank Nilakina, who is this team's backup point guard going into the season, which is probably already one of the team's biggest weaknesses, is now out at least four weeks when he'll be reevaluated for a, a left uh, tibia, I believe, um, fracture, which, I mean, reevaluated in four weeks does not mean he will be back in an NBA court by that point. Um, I, I think that is going to be at least four to six weeks. Uh, it would not surprise me if it went on to be a couple of months with that. Um, but the Hornets still, with that, after that happened, waived Nathan Mensah, waived RJ Hunter, waived Terrell Brown Jr., who they signed and waived. I think all three of those players are probably going to end up in Greensboro. Edmund Sumner made the final roster from an Exhibit 10 contract. It's not been announced yet, but he will likely be converted to a non-guaranteed minimum contract. Uh, which will have a guarantee date probably sometime in January. There is still no update on Cody Martin. James Booknight is going to be out multiple weeks. Bryce McGowan sounds like he might be back sooner than we maybe thought, but probably is unclear yet for him and Teo Maladon if they will be available for opening night. Um, Injuries, not to the core players here, but continuing to just chip away at this Hornets depth, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much every player that's not in the nightly rotation, at least what we project would be the nightly rotation, is injured right now, including one of your two-way players as well. So the depth is razor thin at this point. And I mean, it's not, you know, the players that are going to end up being the most important in terms of wins and losses. But if one of those guys gets hurt, not only will someone be taking their place, that's not as good, but that player might have to be, you know, a two-way player or somebody who's basically the 15th man on the roster rather than shuffling in, you know, your 11th or 12th man. So they're really up against it here. And the season hasn't even started yet. So you basically are fielding like almost a full small ball lineup of players that are injured right now. So it's it's tough in late October already. Yeah. And 
and we have to not overreact here. These are deep, you know, players. This is not really part of your top eight, you'd say, you describe. And in the playoffs, you know, Steve Clifford doesn't really like to play more than eight, right? So maybe he just tightens up the rotation to start the year, which is normally the opposite, to Brandon Miller, Nick Richards, and one other guy, right? And you play your your guys' heavy minutes. The issue with that is you've got Gordon Hayward coming off the back of an injury, the Mellow Ball. Normally, at the start of the year, people aren't quite in the same physical shape to maybe play those extended minutes. But that is one thing that I think Steve Clifford might have to lean on to to start this year. But we finally do have, at least, uh, confirmation on this final Hornets roster. It currently sits at a full 15 players, although there are various non-guarantees in there. Um, and just to confirm the roster, it is Lamella Ball, uh, Miles Bridges, James Bucknight, Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin, Bryce McGowans, Brandon Miller, Frank Nilakina makes the roster despite his injury and his non-guarantee. Nick Richards, Terry Rozier, Nick Smith Jr., Edmund Sumner, JT Thor, PJ Washington, and Mark Williams. And then your three two-way players are Drafty Amari Bailey, Teo Maladon, and Leaky Black. That is your Hornets roster going into opening night. Uh, Chase, how likely do you think is that that's the roster that finishes the year in Charlotte? Heavily unlikely. I think that both of the non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed players as of now, and especially in the case of Frank, like have a very strong chance of being moved on from just because those low salaries are very easy to either waive or just aggregate in some sort of small trade at the deadline. I mean, we saw Jalen McDaniels get shuffled around. The Hornets received Svi Mikhailuk in return to basically veteran minimum players that can just be swapped for an exchange of second round picks or something pretty easily. Uh, and then there's also like, you know, James Booknight, who's got a contract situation coming up that we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Yeah. He's could, uh, actually a bit higher of a salary that could be aggregated in a trade to get maybe a more useful player that's more likely to be in your rotation. So that it's it seems very unlikely to me, both just given the fact that the Hornets are not in a position to kind of stand pat and, you know, roll the dice with what we have. Let's see what we got. And then, you know, still finishing 10th or 11th or something. But there definitely is going to have to be some sort of activity here. And plus, a lot of guys are already injured. So, I mean... Yeah. Maybe if something else more severe happens, one of the non-guaranteed guys gets waived earlier in the season and then someone else comes in to take their place. So very unlikely and, to me, but what about you? And I think Edmund Sumner is probably the guy who I think is maybe the biggest surprise to make the roster, maybe not after the Nilakina news, but I think he was probably on the outside looking in. I think you would have maybe argued that you know, Charlotte needed a, a third big behind Mark Williams and Nick Richards um, over, at, you know, another ball handler. But once that Nilakina injury news came in, you know, he, he's made his way into the roster now. And he could very well start the season as the Hornets backup point guard. And Chase, I don't know if there'll be a least known, a less known Hornets player in the rotation in night one. I, I mean, we have a picture of Edmund Sumner on the screen for those watching the live stream on YouTube, which you can subscribe, by the way. So please do. But Chase, if I asked you to describe Edmund Sumner, what he looks like, how would you describe Edmund Sumner? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't have like a beard or anything. Nope. Like he's not like particularly tall or strong. Yeah, he doesn't. He really has like have like shamit face. Have yeah, you heard he the just has like a, face? He has a normal haircut. Yeah, that's actually a good point. You wouldn't there there aren't really any you can't really describe him without like he just is, giving like very normal features for like an average NBA player. So yeah, that is actually is, a good point. You you wouldn't really be able to latch on to anything, I guess. 
he's remarkably forgettable. <laughs> and and this is, you know, he could be the nicest guy in the world. But just like generally, if you try to ascribe him to someone, I don't know where you start. And he, he one thing I did say, he had a forgettable preseason. Um, I mean, he he didn't play a lot of minutes and he was normally playing kind of in some of those units right at the end of games. But he was, let's put it this way, he did not show anything, I do not think, in preseason that made any single Charlotte Hornets fan excited that he is going to be, or think he's capable of being that backup point guard uh, going into the season. And he, he might get the opportunity. It might be Teo Maladon. It's unclear yet. Um, but but that's how it's going to be. And What do you think, Chase? Do you think they were right to, to give him that spot? Do you think that was the right decision to play this out with all the guys getting added and waived over the last couple of days here? So I actually, I think it was because... For one thing, his contract is so easy to move on from, as we've already talked about. Very low dollar amount. But also, he's healthy right now. Like like we said, Frank Nielakina might be out for close to two months. And he also is on a similar contract where you can waive. And his guarantee is $200,000 uh, for an injury buyout, I believe. That is like nothing in terms of what it co- comes up to on your cap sheet at the end of the year. And at least like Edmund Sumner can come give you minutes right now. To me, if you were to waive someone to add that third big, it would be Frank Nielakina. Because by the time he's even going to be healthy, it'll be what, like almost Christmas maybe? Like maybe not even into the turn of the calendar in 2024. Like Edmund Sumner can give you those minutes while you need them. And then hopefully like at some point in the year, you find either a backup point guard via trade or maybe Edmund Sumner becomes that guy or Terry Rozier figures it out and Brandon Miller becomes like a second unit playmaker. Something happens that makes it so you don't need to play like a player that you signed a couple days before camp opened as a main rotation guy. But to me, like I, w- I would wave Frank over Edmund Sumner right now, just given the health wow. concerns and the fact that it's going to take forever for him to even get back. And by then, like how what and this is the other thing that I was thinking of. If Cody Martin comes back, Frank Nielakina is not going to play anyway. Like they're they're he's kind of just a replacement for Cody Martin in that role. Edmund Sumner at least offers you something different, and then obviously has the health available to him right now, which is not Frank's fault. Obviously, he like banged knees with Jalen Brown, I think, and just got like what amounts to be like a small crack in his chin or leg or whatever. That's not something that you can really avoid, and it's not like it's not the same hamstring injury he had over the summer, but. At the moment, I, I think Sumner would be ahead of, of Frank on the roster for me. So I, I have no problems with giving him that spot over the players that are out there now and have been waived in the last couple of days. That's interesting. I, I think I probably have a different point of view. Um, I, th- I think Frank Nilakina does bring elite defense. I don't think he should be this team's point guard, but I, I do know what you mean with him and Cody Martin having some overlapping skill sets. I'm just kind of at the point with Cody Martin that I'm not counting That's anything. That's understandable. I completely <laughs> like, it, It's that. just yeah. like you you can't act under the impression that Cody Martin is going to be back playing 25 minutes a night again uh, this year because that just feels so far away right now. There's been little to no update about him for the whole preseason. I saw on like some shoot-around videos that he wasn't even jumping when taking shots. At He's always practice. in slides, like shooting yeah. around at practice. I saw Israel, one of our writers at allhornets.com post a video of it. I think Rod Boone posted one of Cody Martin doing a shooting drill with a coach in slides. So not yeah. great if you're not in basketball no. shoes at practice. No, it is not. Um, and, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't love what I saw from Frank on the offensive end really either in preseason. He did have that kind of one better game and, and then he got injured. Um, but I just know Steve Clifford has a type, right? And if if Steve Clifford has to wave a type, it's not going to be the play hard elite defending point guard in the Michael Carter Williams, Dennis Smith Jr. mold. Um, that you know, that's the kind of guy that I know Steve Clifford really values. So yeah, I mean, I, I sent you a list, right, of of players who had been waived from their training camp this preseason. And I have to say, Chase, this is the saddest list I've ever sent to anyone. In it's it's not an NBA. inspiring list. <laughs> it's this not is, even close. <laughs> this list of players, I went through and I looked at all the players and all the point guards slash centers who were waived from teams. And I looked at those two positions because I think they're probably the two biggest needs on this roster. You've lost Kai Jones. So you kind of don't have that third big or at the minute it's going to be PJ Washington. Steve Clifford confirmed that the other day that he would be the third option. Or you need more guard help because I think there is a lot of guys who are unproven here. So I sent a list. I mean, I'm going to, am I really going to punish all the listeners by saying all the names? And I feel like I should. You've had to look through the list. So I feel like the listeners should have to suffer this same pain. Are you ready here? Yeah, there's four yeah you lines. all got to go down with me. I'm not doing this alone. There's four lines here. Keon Johnson, Jack Harrison, Jeff Downton Jr., Justice Winslow, Brandon Williams, Mamadi Diakite, Mac McClung, Czech Diallo, Rudy Gay, Sharif Cooper, Jalen Crutcher, Chris Swarm, uh, Wenyan Gabriel, Ken Birch, Jason Preston, Amari Moore, Xavier Moon, Derek, Derek Favors, uh, Shaquille Harrison again. I think I've added him twice. <laughs> he didn't get waived twice. Just <laughs> Shaq once. Harrison and Shaquille Harrison, two different guys. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. And Kalik Jones. Um, I asked you to look through that list and pick out one guard and one big that maybe you liked on this roster um, instead of maybe giving it to Edmund Sumner. So I know the listeners have tuned in to hear this very interesting take between this group of very sad NBA players. But Chase, who did you pick? So, I mean, the only two guys on that list that really appealed to me in any way, one of which is Jason Preston, who mm-hmm. is basically the only guy on there that, A, has the NBA size to compete defensively. I loved Sharif Cooper coming out of the draft, but it just seems very clear that NBA teams are not willing to bet on his size, even given his offensive talents right now, which he lights up the G League consistently and can't even get a two-way out of it, much less like a standard roster spot. So, I would feel more comfortable giving that to Jason Preston, come up as a, you know, 6'4", 6'5", like table-setting point guard. Can't really shoot or get to the rim at an NBA level and has had a recurring foot injury, I believe, that has kind of plagued him Mm. through the first two seasons. So, again, not the picture of health, not necessarily somebody that is going to be, you know, a beneficial player on both ends of the court consistently, but can at least do some of the things that the team is missing right now. And for a big... This has nothing to do with basketball. Rudy Gay. <laughs> he is one of the coolest players of the 2000s and early 2010s. He won probably the most underrated like dunker of all time. Shout out to Mark Schindler. I, he originated that take, and I like fully agree with it. Um, and uh, even now, he probably is more of a center than like a wing forward anyway. Yeah, he is. So he, he basically w- plays exclusively right. center now. Yeah. yeah, he would. He would fit into the team's depth chart in that way. Obviously, he's going to provide you that like veteran leadership like locker room presence type of thing that you'd expect from a guy that's in his mid-30s now and has played on a ton of different teams seen various levels of success in the nba so would just be a good guy to have around at the very least maybe to be like a younger version of like bismack biombo i guess over the last couple of years where 
they brought him on to be the third center and then whoops he actually ended up starting like 50 games that season so if that happened I, I mad if Rudy Gay were to be signed I could definitely see that happening so but I, that would be a very worrying situation. At the end of that would be, be that would be worse than one is. <laughs> I was I was thinking veteran mentorship games. and breaking case of emergency. Not not a guy to come in to start, but oh, um, absolutely not. A, a guy to tease you with a late addition to the list. Uh, can I interest you in? I don't even know his age, but I'm just going to call him 40 year old Taj Gibson, uh, who also got waived Probably by the Washington Wizards today. Uh, hey, a guy very close to Tom Thibodeau, right? Taj Gibson, a good friend of Steve Clifford. Could be an, another guy to list. Um, you, you're not. I can tell you're not jumping at the opportunity here to, to sign Taj Gibson. You're sticking with Rudy Gay. I, I get it. It's a, it's a sad question to have to answer. Rudy Gay or Taj Gibson? I understand. <laughs> in, in 2012, we'd probably yes. spend five minutes on that. Yeah. In 2023, <laughs> maybe five seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually would have like. I would have picked a couple of these guys, I think, over Sumner. Shaquille Harrison. Shaq Harrison is the guy Shaq for me. Shaq Harrison is, is a good defender, so that yeah. would make sense. E yeah. Exactly. He is the Chris Dunn, Dennis Smith Jr. mold. He's smaller than those guys, but he's a proper ball hawk, uh, sets the table, has got quite a lot of NBA experiences in different places. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think he would have been a guy who I would feel pretty comfortable in to come in and more experienced NBA guy to come and handle up the point guard minutes. I think he, to me, is the guy who jumped off the page. Then, from a center point of view, it's probably Ken Birch, who the Spurs waved. Um, again, just to links to Steve Clifford, right? Ken Birch had his very best NBA years while playing in Orlando with Steve Clifford. Um, he, I think, even started for that Orlando team um, or, or, or was kind of off the bench behind Vooch and, and did really well at times. Um, so you'd hope that maybe Steve Clifford can get something out of him here and you've got someone who you know is going to be on board, board with what the coach wants. But look, the Hornets didn't take that path, right? They are happy with what they've got. That fills me with some confidence because they have seen more of Edmund Sumner and PJ Washington at the five than we have in training camp. And they feel better about that group than adding any of these other people. So even though maybe he's not had the best preseason, Sumner, um, they have confidence in him. So maybe there's just some stuff that we've not had a chance to see yet. Uh, but I think, you know, or, or Maladon too, I think they're, they're going to get the opportunity, both of them. I actually, I mean, a late addendum. I think my preferred plan would be to waive Sumner or Neil Aquina, convert Maladon from a two-way, and then yeah. sign somebody that maybe somebody that was on that list, but somebody that was also just waived like a couple hours before we started recording was Darius Days from the Houston Rockets. He would fit like a, small ball five like big strong like interior based four mold on that you could then fill that two-way that would have just been vacated by maladon have a little bit better positional balance with your two-way players as well with like a guard wing and big um so that would that would actually probably be my preferred plan would be to convert maladon yeah. but it seems like that's just not going to happen given how long they waited to even get him back on the two-way and then the fact that he's been on it for all training camp do you start Edmund Sumner as the backup point guard or Teo Maladon with a with a dodgy shoulder, which Steve Clifford said earlier this week, like it was too early at that point to say whether he'd be good to go for the first game of the season. So that that normally tells you that even if he was to play, he wouldn't be 100% because it's a close call. Which way would you lean there? Oof, that's tough. Probably, it is. For, for now, I think I'd probably go with Edmund Sumner. 
Just because if you're going to use Teo Maladon's two-way availability, I want it to be when he's like fully healthy, 100%. You don't want to use Teo Maladon with a bum shoulder for, what, like 9 to 12 minutes and have him be relatively ineffective anyway and then burn the the 50 games of availability he gets on the two-way contract in, you know, October still. So I think for now I would go with Sumner. If he's fully healthy, then I would be like fully pushing Teo Maladon into rotation, probably towards like, maybe like 15 to 18 minutes. Like, so he can really give like LaMelo and Rozier like a breather from like lead guard duties for all 48 minutes between the two of them. Yeah. I, th- I think it's fair, right? I think it's, you can't just expect someone to come in and go straight into playing a rotation. who's not played any preseason. That is going to take time. There's a reason we have preseason, right? And that that gives me concerns by just handing the key keys over to Teo. Like you said, if if he was like full go and we got to see him from what we saw last year, I'd probably lean towards him. I think he's a more natural point guard. I think he knows the system. Um, I think he's you know a good defender as well. Um, but there's just those question marks of how ready is this guy, and do you put him in a position to fail? So I I don't even know what the answer is for me. Um, I don't like either of the answers, but. Look, we're going to find out here in uh, in 48 hours before before this game starts. So um, we, let's get on to this game preview of the Atlanta Hawks. But before we do, I want to tell everyone about a very exciting launch here on the All Hornets Podcast Network. And you're going to see, again, on YouTube right now if you're watching. Uh, and if not, you can check. There'll be a link in the show notes uh, on the podcast. Or you should also be seeing something on my social media account in the next couple of days. We are launching All Hornets Podcast t-shirts uh, we have T-shirts, hoodies, baseball tops. We have, we have everything going on this All Hornets store, launching for the new part of the season. Um, and we start off with three designs. We have the classic All Hornets podcast T-shirt, which has our very pristine-looking logo on it. And also, we have a couple of special T-shirts, a couple of designs, uh, a Hum Diddly D T-shirt and a Hotter Than Fish Grease T-shirt uh, with a couple of cool little emojis on there, which you can see on the screen right now. Um, Chase, which of the three T-shirts are your favorite? Which one are you looking to purchase here? See, I'm a sucker for a classic like logo T-shirt. I yeah. love like any brand that I like. I just like a nice like plain color, like white, black, anything that's easy to wear, just with the logo, either like up in the left corner of your chest, right in the center. That that would be something that I would wear very frequently. Like I, it, it, especially because you're broadcasting the All Hornets Network, so. It's really killing Absolutely. two birds with one stone here, wearing a nice shirt and get to support the brand that James and I uphold here on this podcast. Yeah. And if you want to support the podcast, if you like what you do, if you want to show that you are the hardest of hardcore Charlotte Hornets fans, you want to get yourself one of these t-shirts because those people are going to be walking down the street. They're going to see that and they're going to go, those guys know that, you know, those guys are the hardcore. Those guys, are the ones who never leave the Hornets side, follow them through thick and thin. Uh, and who like a little niche Hornets t-shirt. So make sure you check them out. Again, link for the t-shirt store is in the show notes of this episode, or if you're on YouTube, you can see some of the designs. Um, you'll you'll be seeing it from here, and these are going to be live for the regular season. So exciting times here for the All Hornets Podcast Network. Uh, but with that said, let's get back on to this Atlanta Hawks game. Um, first game of the season, Chase. Uh, taking on the Hawks. How are you feeling about the game? So I actually feel pretty good. This is going to be one of the tougher games in the Hornets opening stretch. We've talked a little bit about their early season schedule. It's probably one of the softer parts of the entire schedule 
right now. But the Hawks are a solid test to start the year. The Hornets have played reasonably well against them in past years, playing game aside. But the thing that kind of strikes me first is the Hawks are the picture of health right now. I don't think they have a single player that's designated on the injury report in any way. So when they come into this game, they're going to be fully stocked and they're going to have their full lineup ready. Everybody's been practicing, playing in the preseason, which is one advantage that they have over the Hornets. But I I think that the Hornets match up with them pretty well for a couple of reasons. But what what, what were your first initial thoughts on the season opener? Just in barely 48 hours from right now. So excited. Yeah, it's it's at Charlotte. I think there will be a a very good... uh... Uh, atmosphere that always is on any opening night. It doesn't matter what you're looking at for the season. There is always a good atmosphere. Um, All time, Hawks are 68, 62 against the Charlotte Hornets. Um, Always pretty good games. And in recent years, it feels like the Hornets have played them pretty well, uh, generally, like you said, apart from that playing performance. Um, Steve Clifford has a lot of experience drawing up defensive assignments from playing Trey Young, something that he's had to do both in Orlando, both in Charlotte as well. And like one thing that they're trying to get out and do is run a lot more this year uh, under Quinn Snyder. That's one thing they're definitely going to try to get out and transition. This transition defense that Steve Cliff has put together is going to be tested here. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they use Mark Williams, Nick Richards in the pick and roll. We know they're going to be a little bit more aggressive, especially guarding guys like Trey Young. So I expect to see those moments. If you remember, I think it was last year, Mark Williams switched onto Trey Young for that end of game possession and blocked that pull up three point shot. Went down the other end, finished with a dunk. Hornets won the game. So I expect to see more opportunities like that with Charlotte being pretty aggressive and putting guys like Mark Williams in big areas of trust. And for Lamella Ball, he's going to be going up against a very good center, defensive center rotation on Yeka Congro, his former high school teammate, and Clint Capella. They're going to be parked down at the paint. And Lamella is going to have to find a way to, to finish at the rim or to get something going from outside as well. So um, I, I think it's a good first test. Uh, I think if they if they play well, they should win. And if they don't play well, the Hawks have got enough talent to be able to push them aside. Um, Hawks open the game as, I think, 2.5-point favorites. So it's not a runaway by any means. But first, first full year, really, of Quinn Snyder, I'm interested to see what the Hawks look like. Because I actually have them, you know, I think they could play above their win over-under win differential this year. Um, I'm higher on the Hawks than most. Uh, lost John Collins, but have now a full year of Sadiq Bay. Going to play small a little bit more, but that could potentially work for them. Yeah, something that I'm really curious to see with the Hawks this year is I feel like they're going to be relying on a lot of internal improvement from guys that have yeah. already like proved themselves a little bit in like Onyeko Kongwu and Jalen Johnson, AJ Griffin. Like Had a great preseason, Jalen Johnson. Yes, very much so. He, yeah. Him especially is going to be somebody that they're really relying on for internal improvement because he hasn't been a big part of their rotation really at any point in his career yet. At least Okongwu and A.J. Griffin put up some numbers last year. But if Jalen Johnson can come in and be like a second unit rim runner, and he has some playmaking juice too, which is something that Absolutely. they're going to need. Also with losing John Collins, I think the most underrated aspect of John Collins' game is his passing. So that's somebody that can – replicate that in some ways but add a little bit more maybe defensively from the four spot would be huge for them so i'm i'm very curious to see how their bench kind of pans out early on in the season so be a good can test i give you my start off against the hornets can i give you my Jalen johnson story Ooh, give um, me it. Th- there were two players who the hornets worked out twice 
ahead of the 2021 draft. One of them was Kai Jones. One of them was Jalen Johnson. Um, that isn't, I don't think, massively public no news, but I feel like we're a few years now. Kai Jones has come and gone. Um, so I feel like it's okay to change that now. But the Hornets were very, very, very interested in Jalen Johnson in that draft. Um, was definitely a guy under consideration. Um, so, yeah, ended up with the Hawks. And the Hornets are going to get an up-close look at him because he's going to be in their opening night rotation, like you say. Uh, that spot opened up here. But but what are you thinking? Are you feeling a Hornets win on opening night in Charlotte, crowd, hive, getting loud? Or are you thinking Hawks will have a little bit too much to start with the, with the injuries to the second unit? The Hornets are going to win this game by a score of 150 to 75. And the Atlanta Hawks will go. We'll, we'll have to walk back home after this game. We are starting full-blown optimism here. Is, 75 no point chance blowout. they're losing right. this game. No chance. Not, they're not. But, I mean, in, in all seriousness, the Hawks actually, I think, are sneakily like a not a very deep team at the guard spot themselves. Like, it's really Trey and DeJounte Murray, which – very similar to Lamelo and Terry Rozier, and then after that, they have a like a wing that kind of play makes plays for them, and Boyan or Bogdan Bogdanovich, Gordon Hayward, and then after that, they have like Patty Mills, who to me is probably not a reliable rotation. He's not been anymore. a guy in two years now. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, gone. Oh, folks. Yeah, exactly. I, I not, love I'm Patty Mills more than most, anymore, but it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, they have Kobe Bufkin, uh, sit fellow first round draft pick to Nick Smith this year. I mean that they and beyond that they don't really have anybody that's capable of being like a lead ball handler. I guess Wesley Matthews would be the next player, which is a very similar predicament to what the Hornets are in right now. Granted, the Hawks players are all healthy, so their roster construction is kind of just skewed towards one yeah. or two playmakers, and then the rest of them are are just wings to surround them. But the Hornets just don't have the players available yet. But I mean, similar situation from the opening night, anyway. It is. I, I do think Dejounte Murray is a better point guard than Terry Rozier. I, you know, Absolutely. I, I know, yes. And I think that's where the difference is because they do stagger those guys, and I imagine Dejounte will probably get the bulk of those minutes. Um, but I think the, the Hornets are going to have to stagger their guys too, right? Uh, as, as, we've already seen it in preseason. The Mallard Ball's been the first guy out the game because Steve Clifford's getting him back in there early with that second unit because they need that creation. Um, which is gonna, which is gonna come in a little bit later. I'm gonna go on that point in a little bit more detail. But um, I don't know. I'm, I want to be Mr. Positive. Uh, I, I'm just really concerned about some of this second unit stuff. Um, and that last game against the Boston Celtics, we've not really touched on the last preseason game. Uh, ouch! That was that was a blowout, right? Um, it was not very close. They went up 2-0 the... to start the game. Uh, and then after that, that was the high point. It did not go well. Yeah, that was about as good as um, it got. <laughs> so the I'm promise you the Hawks will have watched the film from that and gone, okay, this is what we do: turn these guys over, crash the boards, and we can bully these guys. I can tell you, Clint Capella is going to be going after everything on the offensive glass. So that's what's to look out for. I think that's probably the key matchup was that that rebounding battle between Capella and Okongwu, who are both really kind of feisty and, and Nick Richards and Mark Williams. I think that's what it's going to come down to. How many second possessions can each team limit each other to? Um, anything else on the Hawks? I don't think so. I'm ready for opening night. I know that for sure. Absolutely. And, and uh, Mark and Tim on the Hornets and Heartbreak podcast, they will be recording right after the first game against Atlanta. So they should have a podcast in the All Hornets podcast feed 
uh, within hours of the of the final of the first preseason game coming to an end. So we'll have all the reaction right here on the All Hornets podcast. And it's also time that I tell you a little bit about allhornets.com, a credential Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. Allhornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, game recaps, previews, in-depth analysis, allhornets.com covers it, and nobody does it better. Okay, Chase, it's time to move on to our part two, second segment. Uh, of what we think what is true what is maybe true and what is maybe not true so i'm gonna let you go in any order you can start we've got one each here we've got six in total uh start wherever you want here of your true maybe true and maybe not true all right well i'll just keep the the train of positive vibes rolling here and i i ask the listeners i i apologize for the double negative that i'm about to throw at them here but what is definitely not true is that the Hornets are not a play-in team. I know that it seems now over the last couple of weeks, a lot of the like mainstream outlet writers and like like that work for like ESPN or The Athletic or The Ringer or anything like that have actually kind of swung in the other direction and are leaning towards betting like, you know, picking the over for the Hornets win total, which I believe is 31 and a half right now. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like anybody that's, you know, not working for one of those big outlets, just a general NBA fan or like a, a analyst or what writer, what have you, seem to be very down on the Hornets. I mean, I would see on Twitter all the time people posting predictions with the Hornets finishing sometimes 15th in the East, but 14th, 13th, 12th is a regular occurrence. But, I mean, let's just take a look at last season to start. The Hornets finished 14th in the East. They were 27-55, and 55, 13 games behind the 10th place Bulls. That's a big gap on the surface, uh, but the Nets – Wizards and Raptors, all teams that finished above them. The Nets were in, were sixth, which we that can be almost certain that that's not going to happen again this year with the roster that they have playing a full 82 games. And then along with that, the Bulls, Pacers, and Magic, who were also above all above the Hornets, they either you know maybe stagnated or at least didn't add any players that are you know relatively close to like All Star caliber. Or, anything like that, putting up like team leading stats and stuff. Bruce Brown is the best player that any of those three teams signed all season or all off season long. The Hornets are great. If they get a fully healthy season out of LaMelo Rozier and Hayward, who combined to miss 97 games last year and Mark Williams, who only got into the rotation as a starting center in the second half of the year, he played 43 games. If that jumps up to closer to 82 and then you add PJ at the four into that lineup, who is the only consistent player available all year. That is a basically a brand new lineup that Clifford gets to employ. Those guys played 177 total possessions together last season. And that includes two former All-Stars in Ball and Hayward, a 21-point-per-game scorer in Terry Rozier, and a 7-foot double-double threat protecting the rim, along with P.J.'s spacing and defense at the four. Like, if that lineup is in the 75th percentile or above in minutes or possessions played together – and, you know, gets a little bit higher than 177 on the entire year, the Hornets are going to be good. Like, they're just, that it's just unavoidable fact. Like, if that all of these players that produce at a high clip for starters or rotation players in the NBA all play a lot, that's like, that that leads to wins. That's how that works. I don't think climbing from 27 to 40 wins is impossible for this group at all. And that, I don't, and that's without even mentioning Brandon Miller or Miles Bridges. I not, have not even mentioned their names yet at all. And that's really, that's what it took last year for Chicago to finish 10th was 40 wins. So 
I don't think that that's impossible. I mean, it, all they have to do is get to that mark or around that mark anyway, with, unless, you know, the standings in the East take some sort of big flip from last yeah. year, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't think that's impossible. I, I think it's very reasonable for that type of growth to happen over the course of one season. Yeah, it's it certainly is possible. I, I I think I had my preseason prediction, I think of 39 wins. I, I had to write something on allhornets.com today for, for predictions for the season, for the record. I have had my confidence shaken a little bit just because of the injuries in the backcourt, just because of the uncertainty that I think is still swirling around Miles Bridges. Um, you know, if they hadn't happened, I'd be right where I am because like you can overreact to that Boston game, but those first three preseason games, the first two, especially Hornets starters, especially looked really good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think I revised down to like 36 wins now, which is still comfortably above their over under and still could even be in the argument for 10th. I know everyone's obsessed with the East being better, but like people say this BS every year and like people get hurt. Things change. People don't play as well. I, I don't see this world where like uh, 36 wins is going to have you like a 14th in the in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Chase, do you, should we provide some bulletin board material for the Hornets players right here? You ready for this? Yes. Okay. Do it. Hornets. Steve Clifford pinned this up on a wall. Kevin O'Connor for the Ringer has the Hornets ranked in his power rankings 29th. John Schumann picked the Hornets 14th in the East. Zach Harper for the Athletic picked the Hornets for 30th in the entire NBA for power rankings. Colin Coward for CBS Sports, Andy Bailey for Bleach Report. Um, they both had him 27th, along with Yossi Gozan for Hoops Hype. And then USA Today, Mike Sykes had him for 28th. Chase, not a single outlet in their entire power rankings has picked the Hornets to finish better than 27th in the entire NBA. Um, there is your bulletin board material, Charlotte Hornets. Go pin it on there. Go stick them to it. And we will enjoy watching it. Okay. Um, I'm going to go next. Uh, let's go with my... Let's go with my definitely true. Um, and I've already touched on some of this a little bit already. And this won't shock anybody. Um, but this is definitely true in my opinion. The Hornets made a mistake and just fumbled the bag with the backup guard options this offseason. I'm not going to rehash all they'll grab, but I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, right? I tweeted out the other day that the Hornets should look to upgrade the back of point guard position. And I have Hornets fans coming at me everywhere saying that let's rock with Nick Smith Jr.'s backup point guard. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, those same Hornets fans, three games into the season, I can see going, why on earth don't we have a backup point guard? Why don't we have Dennis Smith Jr.? This is a disaster. And I'm not even talking about the training camp issue. I'm, I'm talking about all the way back in the offseason, Monte Morris went for a second round pick from the uh, to the Detroit Pistons. Would have been the perfect guy for, to, to be like a backup point guard in Charlotte. Marcus Sasser was available late in the first round. Went 25, so before Charlotte's 27th pick. But let's not pretend with all their extra picks that Charlotte could have quite easily jumped up and got Marcus Sasser. Having a great preseason, had a good summer league too, would have been the perfect guy for this team. But this team do not draft and develop backup point guards, frustratingly. Um, you know, the Hornets have become, I think, emboldened a little bit by the success stories of Dennis Smith Jr. and Isaiah Thomas, where they feel now they can just pick up any guy off the scrap heap and they can they can perform well. They don't have to prioritize a position. But you look at the best season in Hornets history, 
Jeremy Lin was the backup point guard for the 48-win team. Devontae Graham was the backup point guard for the 43-win team. Those are good backup point guards. And it's not a surprise to me that that's when Charlotte had their best seasons. So for me, they're rolling the dice and taking a complete gamble that one of these guys is going to pop. And if they don't, you're not putting Brandon Miller, who is going to probably be your leading scorer in that second unit, you're not putting him in position to succeed. He is going to average more turnovers. He is going to have to try and force the issue because he's the only guy until Miles Bridges comes back who can really create his own shot effectively on that second unit. So I, I, I just, it's definitely true that for me, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. It was a, a, a complete, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Lots of words. It was a, a complete misevaluation on this roster to not address that issue. Yeah. And what I think is you're absolutely right about is that if you're going to make it so guys that are essentially shot creators in Terry Rozier and Brandon Miller, like you mentioned, into your secondary playmakers, you're negating that strength because every time, or yes. not every time, but a lot of the times that they're creating those looks, they know, okay, now that I've you know gotten an advantage on my guy, I've got to step on my defender, I'm on the way to the rim. I can't look to score because if I do, I am the only one that will ever take shots because nobody else on the court with me can create their own shot. And if I don't get them the ball, since I'm the best passer, they won't be able to take any open spot-up attempts that I've created because I've gotten into a five-on-four situation with my guy behind me. So that you take out, especially in the case of Terry Rozier, his biggest strength, which is just not only are you have not only do you have this weakness at backup point guard already, you're creating another one by taking that away from another player who fills another role perfectly yeah. and is not, is yeah. a fine fit as your you know, third best playmaker on your team or something, but you don't want fine. You want good. You want like high quality to be a team that continues to grow year after year, builds on the success that they had two years ago. Obviously last year was a wash because of the injuries, but if you want to build on this 43 win team, like you said, you need someone like Devonte Graham, who is a highly capable or was at that time as a highly capable second unit playmaker and table setter that knows his role. And is just going to come in, distribute, take open threes when they get them, and then that's it. And then there's also the fact that, and this is, I think, the real reason why this didn't happen, the Hornets have never used the mid-level exception yep. in its existence. This is essentially a tool that is given to teams like the Hornets to say, here is what is now $12 million to come play for us for two years. Each year you get $12 bucks. This is a tool that doesn't count against our salary cap, so we can give it to player X, overpay them a little bit, maybe get them to come here instead of coming and playing for a team that's going to be more competitive in the East or the West or what have you. They've never used that. Why? I have no idea. Maybe it just costs too much money and they've never been able to negotiate with a player they like enough to make it truly worth it. Because you're not just going to throw the money out and give it to you know, Edmund Sumner and put him on your MLE because you can get him on a non-guaranteed deal. But there, I just... I find it hard to believe that over the past couple of years, not even just this year, that there was not a yep. single player that was worth that salary slot that was not that was willing to take it. There's no way that got turned down by every single well, backup point guard that's worth. I can tell you right dollars. now, Javon Car Carter signed the Chicago Bulls for six million. Yep, using the mid-level exception. You can't tell me he wouldn't have doubled his <laughs> salary to come to the Hornets. Doubled yeah, it. I 
I didn't think yeah. it would have been a great value, but like, let's say no. you do eight million for two years for Jevin Carter. Like, he's coming to be a backup point guard for a so-so Eastern Conference team. And unless he has a shrine to Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, there is no reason I don't think he would come to Charlotte for more money. Jevin Carter has not earned enough money to be picking where he plays. So that is just one example, you know, that you can just take of a guy you could have gone after. Yeah, and it's. Just that, I think, is the overarching thing as to why this situation is the way that it is. But the non the basketball reasons that manifest themselves afterward just make it even more difficult for like Steve Clifford and player development coaches and everybody on the staff to have to manage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Take us on to your, you've done your maybe not true. Uh, give us your, this is true or this is maybe true. All right. So we just lambasted the Hornets backcourt depth and the point guard depth right now, but something that might be true. And Steve Clifford himself said it already is that the Hornets might have enough front court depth, maybe not centers. I would still really like a third big on the team, but if you're talking about players that you can fit in the front court for, you know, any, uh, any extended period of time, I think they might be able to do that. The disclaimer here is so long as nobody I'm about to talk about suffers a long-term injury, which really applies to like most teams in the NBA, in fairness to the Hornets. If one of your main centers gets hurt, then you're in trouble. That's a pretty standard statement. But obviously right now, Mark and Nick are going to receive like all 48 minutes at the five between the two of them. But even if one get injured, gets injured, gets into foul trouble, just like needs a breather, the Hornets could have enough behind them as is, as long as Cliff is willing to get creative. He said he was willing to play PJ at the five or that PJ would be the third big. So it seems like he might be willing to get creative and PJ has done that before. So it's not like something that he's not used to and fitting him into a strong defensive lineup as the center, I think could yield improved results from when James Borrego tried it a couple years ago. Those teams that the Hornets had back then did not have the infrastructure to support like an undersized five that plays a lot of zone that at the set in as yeah. your main room protector and, and they were a lot younger as well a lot exactly younger at the time. yes significantly yeah. less experience gordon hayward missed tons of time in both of those seasons as well like right now if you can fit pj at the five jt at the four who also has the length to play the five himself even if he probably doesn't have like that level of physicality and strength that pj has that allows him to be able to defend fives in the under the rim right now and then you can put gordon hayward next to him and then probably Lamelo and terry as the backcourt I think that works. Like, I, I really think that that lineup is not ideal. None of these are ideal lineup configurations because it implies that Mark and Nick are unavailable for whatever reason. But Cliff has always been able to adapt to the rosters that he's given. And I think that with that added experience, a couple more years of growth as defenders, a couple extra players on the roster that are a little bit better at defense now too, I really think it might be able to work a little bit more than it did a couple years ago when you have a small ball center such as PJ or even JT Thor, who's a little bit bigger. I I I think that I I maybe see the vision a little bit if it works out. Like I hope we don't even have to wait for an injury. Uh, Yeah, I I do too. I would love. I would do it myself. Like that would be like a regular thing. Would be playing PJ at the five for sure. Yeah, matchup dependent. When there are other teams that are stretching you out and. That the reason he won't do it, this is I can tell you the exact reason why it comes down to one thing it's not rim protection. That's what a lot of people think. Oh, well, PJ is not big enough. PJ is one of the best rim protecting power forwards in the NBA. You can go mm-hmm. look that up. That is that is a fact. The reason is rebounding, okay, and that is the sole reason. Um, and Steve Clifford loves nothing more than getting a defensive rebound. 
And that is his concern. And that was the, the Hornets issue when they played PJ as a small ball five was the rebounding problem. Now, if Lamella Ball can rebound at a high level, if Brandon Miller can come in and rebound at a high level, which I think he's shown so far to do, maybe he feels there's enough confidence there, along with JT Thor as well, that actually he can go a little bit smaller because he has more rebounding wider in the lineup. And I hope Steve does experiment with some of these things over the year, not just when he's forced to do, because it is a little bit more creative. You are sacrificing defense, but as Steve Clifford always says, you... I mean, if you had a shot for every time you hit it, you'd be drunk very quickly. You need to have a way that you can play balanced on both sides of the ball. And Steve Clifford's view is, for the Hornets, most of the time, playing P.J. Washington does not make you balanced. It makes you a very good offensive team, but it it hinders you defensively. Um, I think it's something that I would like him to try and experiment with. Uh, We didn't see it at all in preseason. I think if he was going to start the year looking at that, we would have seen it at some point. Um, the fact that he doesn't suggest that it's not on his playbook anytime soon. But I, I do agree with you. I think there is something there. What we saw two years ago, it is not a mirage. It was very real. PJ Washington really did help this team and help Lamella Ball when he managed to play that small ball five. Okay, moving on to my next one. Um, I'm going on with this could this could be maybe be true. And that's if this Hornet season goes downhill, and I hope it doesn't, but if it does, could Mitch Kupchak be out during the season before the season even ends? And this is my reasoning here. The new owners, when they came in, they preached about patience, right? Uh, we want to be patient. Let's be honest. Even if they didn't mean that, that's what they're going to say. <laughs> you know, unless they're getting rid of the front office there and then, they're going to say that. Um, but the reality can be quite different. and. Let's say that they wanted a retool. Let's say it was clear they were not going to be in play in contention by January. Do you really want Mitch Kupchak, whose sole goal will probably be for this team to be good this year, um, to be handling that trade deadline, to be you know leading relationship with players and coaches? What if they want their new head of basketball operations to be in to be able to retool at the trade deadline? You know, look at Gordon Hayward, a perfect example. Mitch Kupchak could might be wanting to keep Gordon Hayward. It was the guy he signed. It could be the guy contributing for this team to, to be fighting right to the end to try and push the play in. Maybe the new owners have an idea that actually that's not the right thing to do. Why are we doing that? He's going to leave in free agency. We can trade him for X or Y at the trade deadline. You know, Mitch Kupchak is not here in the long term, in my opinion. And I think he knows it. And the new owners do too. And that can sometimes impact your strategy a little bit. So they could look to bring in someone else. They could then look to evaluate the coaches, the players during the season so that when they go into the draft and free agency, they're much more settled, they're more acquainted. If they do want to appoint a new coach in the summer, again, another option because Steve Clifford two-year option comes to an end. At least you've already got the GM in place. You're not having to recruit a GM first to then be able to recruit a coach. And then by then, some of the better coaches might already have gone off the market, right? So you put yourself in a better position in the offseason by making a change in the front office sooner rather than later. It doesn't happen if the team are doing well, right? But if things go badly, that could maybe be true. That actually makes a lot of sense, too. And on the on the surface, you know, you Mitch Kupchak and the situation that he's in with the Hornets just screams mutual parting of ways or like yes. a, that leads to a retirement or you know, transition into a 
senior consultant type of role or some sort of thing like that that keeps him around but doesn't necessarily keep him around in the capacity that the owners want him in. But, I mean, you don't see it often, but it does happen where teams let go of their executives towards the end of the year and kind of usher in that new regime. If not only because, like, do you you, you don't want Mitch Kupchak doing the exit interviews with these players. He's just going to be looking at them being like, this didn't go very well. I'm not going to be here next year. So <laughs> that sucked. <Yeah. laughs> like it's, it's not going to be the right type of message or the, the exact type of message that you want to be sent to those players, especially ones like someone like Gordon Hayward or anybody that has any sort of contract situation coming up that off season. I, that actually makes a lot of sense, but I mean, I, I still think I would probably, if I had to guess between what happened with like your scenario or, the Hornets and Mitch Kupchak announced today that they have mutually parted ways and that Kupchak will transition into a senior consultant role for the basketball operations department. I'd probably lean towards that, but it it makes conventional sense, especially if the season goes awry. Are, which, are you saying it may man, be true? It may it, be true. It may be true. It <laughs> may be true. That's the category I was aiming for. So I I'm happy nailed with that. it. Uh, okay, give me your last one, Chase. All right, so this is definitely true. And this was probably the most, the thing I had the most fun watching and like going back and watching the film of after the preseason games. LaMelo Ball has improved as a finisher at the rim, <laughs> noticeably, but might I add. So on his attempts within five feet of the basket in the preseason, LaMelo Ball shot 64.3%. That was an increase of more than 11%. From his career high of 53 percent in 21-22 obviously the sample size is much smaller in the preseason but i think an uptick in efficiency from the restricted area is more than enough to expect at this point given that sample size because in those games in the preseason we saw that that one and one he had against christophs porzingis in the boston game really stood out to me he hit like he's hit like a quick double crossover at the top of the key drove right to the rim porzingis like Two hands straight up contested it. Lamelo took the contact, finished with a finger roll, and one fell right on the ground. Like I don't think Lamelo in the last couple of years is a either seeking that contact and initiating it like he did, or b finishing through it. So which is a huge, huge jump, and that is going to be massively important for that uptick in efficiency. Which that would force defenses to collapse like even further on his drives and space even further out to guard him, like inevitably leading to more of those free throw opportunities and those driving lanes that is going to allow him to kick out to open shooters and stuff and create for himself also in the mid range and use his crazy touch on those wild floaters that he throws up. We didn't see as many of those last year, but I think that if he actually becomes more of a consistent driving threat, defenses are going to have to guard him differently and we'll get to see him have a lot more space to operate. I think in other areas of the court, which is, it's only going to help him. And I, I think that, at this point, I think it's reasonable to at least expect that. And I, I personally am, am all in on that. The sample size we saw in the preseason, the flashes we saw of him on both offense and defense being willing to take contact and be just a more physical player. So I'm, I'm excited to watch that this year. And count me in on the Lamelo has not fixed his problems at the rim, but has definitely alleviated them quite a bit. So I'm going to share my last one, which is my maybe not true, because then this is how you know that we kind of don't cheat here when we pretend not to know 
uh, what each other's points are because my go is kind of like completely against yours. <laughs> and <laughs> All right, here we and go. Uh, so my maybe not true was that the Mellow Ball is going to have a career year. Um, and 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 I had some of the same stats that you had there, but for me, I, I know Lamelo had a good finishing in the paint in preseason, and I also say in the preseason held his opponents to twenty two percent shooting, four or fourteen in the preseason too. His defense, I actually did think, look, he looked much more engaged, less freelancing. However, uh, Lamelo Ball was only cleared for contact in October. He had surgery in March. That is seven months, Chase. Seven months of not being able to play live basketball. Like, this is... Maybe it's old school. I don't know. I just find it really hard to think that someone coming off seven months of no contact with, like, limited skill work, and he was probably able to shoot and stuff like that. But for me, that person is just going to be rusty, at least for the first portion of the season. Um, And on top of the rust that I think there is going to be, even though I do think there were some promising signs in preseason, it just doesn't make sense to me that someone can improve finishing at the rim when they've not been able to do contact for seven months. And I guess there's part of me that's just thinking he played against the Wizards, who are pretty terrible, OKC, who didn't play Chet or any basically big centers. Um, and that's the reason for some of the inflated numbers there. I, this is cynical. And I hope I'm wrong. Don't get me wrong. It just, but it, tell me how. Tell me how someone gets better when they've not done contact for seven months and suddenly they start finishing around the rim. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I guess I'm taking the just I'm I'm relying on what should happen in 99% of cases, knowing that there is always a chance that sometimes these things just happen. Right? It doesn't make sense. There is no reason. But sometimes guys make jump. Maybe they're more mature. Maybe they're stronger because they've matured. Maybe the game slowed down because they watched film. These are all things that are technically possible, although I would say kind of unlikely. The other thing I would ask, add is that this year, Lamelo, I think, is going to be playing with the second unit more. We talked about him staggering earlier. He's going to be playing with the second unit, and I think that will probably impact his efficiency too because he's going to be in a position where he has to do more, where he's going to have less help around him. And I think that could hurt his shooting percentages, could hurt his turnovers. Um, I don't know if Miles Bridges is going to start when he's back. Um, so Lamella Ball and Miles Bridges might not be kind of tied to each other minutes-wise like they were a few years ago. And we know how important Miles Bridges was to Lamella Ball and was a big part of his all-star season. Um, so with all of those things in mind, the rust, the staggering, the, the limited time with Miles Bridges... I don't know if this is going to be the breakout year for Lamella Ball that I think some think it is. I think this for me is a a a year where you consolidate, where you improve some of those, try and improve some of those efficiencies, get better as the year goes on. And I think the big jump year comes a year or two from now, just due to those mitigating circumstances. You present a compelling <laughs> case. So that that's my you know that's and it's maybe maybe not true right I'm not saying yeah. it is I'm just saying it's something that popped into my head maybe this isn't the year for Lamelo Ball to have that career season and that's no mean thing it doesn't mean I'm any less invested it doesn't mean that I think Lamelo Ball is uh, one of these whatever quotes Chris Manick scout said which were just freaking oh. 
ridiculous, by the way. Let's not even give yeah. him time. No, time of day. definitely not. Uh, Eric and um, Eric and Atticus on the Buzzer Beaters podcast, they covered some of the, the discussion around that, I thought, really well. So you can go back and listen to that on the last episode of the Hornets podcast. But yeah, I, maybe it's not this year, but it could be very soon. You, you, you really do make some reasonable points here, but I, I think I disagree. I think the real thing that is like the, where the rust is really showing up right now, I think especially is in his shooting. He shot terrible. Well, that's the thing that shouldn't be rusty, right? If we're talking I, I about agree. on paper, if you were to write this thing out in a textbook, what my eyes are seeing with the rim finishing and the defense and the shooting are the opposite of what I was expecting. And yes. Lemola Ball is a bit of an alien. He is a one of one. We've heard this many times. And maybe he just does things differently, right? And it's hard to figure out the reasoning for this. I think that the pace of the game is something that comes very naturally to him and just the feel for basketball, especially when it's like fast-paced basketball, which the Hornets seem to want to play themselves a little bit this year. It's just not a difficult thing for him to adjust for, which I think that's partially why the rim numbers are inflated. Like being able to read the game and having it slow down for you and being able to be patient and poised while also still making like quick, decisive moves towards the rim is something that I is going to be able to create those looks at the rim that allow you to inflate that percentage a little bit, or at least shoot a high percentage at the rim. But I also think like there were a fair amount of them that ended up with him taking contact or reaching around contact and contorting to finish like some sort of finger roll or something like that, which he's always shown the ability to do that, but coupled with the ability to go up against much bigger players, take a bump, either fall down or regain his balance once he lands and finish. I, I think that down. that's no, yeah. That fall, see, fall, don't fall down, but like make it make it a My very heart skips a beat every time any Hornets player hits the hits the ground. It's just yeah, you're like I, what I'm, what bone just broken yeah. to a million pieces? P- yeah, PTSD from last season. Nobody fall down for the whole year, please. Nope, but two feet on the ground at all times. We're playing a, a no more jumping in basketballs. Just to can we can we get stabilizers on the players like a little back yes. wheel? Do you know what I mean? Just that when they're going yeah. down, it like it pushes them back up. That would be yeah, that would like be great. like springboards on the floor, so you just bounce right back up onto your feet yeah. whenever you fall that down. We might be onto something here. This is the next step in in player safety. But I mean, for real, like Lamelo has just shown and willingness to do it in the preseason, combined with yes. the actual sample size that the percentages support it. And you're right; like you would not imagine no sitting down to watch a Hornets game in the even in the preseason, and Lamelo goes. Five, I think it was five for 13 from the field uh, against Boston with, I think, four of those makes being like right at the rim. And one, I think he went like one for four from three or something like that. These numbers might be off, but the, the point remains the same. He was getting his his production from significantly different areas than where he usually gets it. And to me, like, I, I think that's a sign that he has made that jump rather than that it's like just him kind of trying to readjust back to the game of basketball and trying to just get his however he can while he does that. Like, I, I think it's a real advance or a, a real step forward in his development so far. Okay. I think we are, we're out of maybe trues, trues, maybe not trues. I think we're done. I think so. Um, Chase, by, the ne- by the next time we speak, the Charlotte Hornets will have played professional basketball in the new season. Um, 
I'm looking forward to seeing the first few games. Uh, how many games will they have played here before, before we next week? We record on Monday nights always. Okay, so they will have played. Here we go. They will play two in Atlanta. Games. They will have played Detroit. If the Hornets are zero and two after those two games, this is going to be a very very sad place, and there is going to be a lot of panic out there. I'm just telling you, this is the, this. These are the facts. If they're one and one, it's fine. If it's two and zero, oh, you know, let's. We're we're beginning to get back to some of those people who've been uh, bookmarking the Hornets to be thirtieth in the power rankings. But uh, Chase, I'm looking forward to jumping back on here and and uh, talk and see what we see in the next couple of games. It is going to be so refreshing to talk about on court regular season NBA basketball. Oh wait, actually, one more thing: NBA Jersey Day on the day we're recording. Hornets just got new city edition jerseys. Give me your one sentence take on these 2023-24 teal and uh, mint and yellow yeah. city editions. I was lukewarm on them, and then I saw the rest of the city edition uniforms, and I thought, yeah. well, these are much better compared to some yeah, of the that, rest of them. Exactly oh my, my thoughts. That made the me feel a lot better. Went from like, yeah, that went from like um, a C-plus to an A-minus yeah. just based off of everybody else's. I, I completely I th- agree. I think that I think they're perfectly fine. Um, I thought last year's were fine, too. I'm not a big Jersey guy. I, I, I don't want to like you know, rain on anybody's parade. But uh, I, I think I, I'm a bit worried that the mint and the teal, when it's on court, you won't be able to see the definition between the two. And it just kind of like the design subtlety gets lost a little bit. But until I see them on court, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, fine. Uh, could have been a lot worse. Look at Atlanta. Yeah. Look at Denver. Look at Memphis. Um, oh my God. There are some hideous... Hideous. Yeah, the in- jerseys out there. Was, was horrifically bad. San Antonio, it was like Charlotte, uh, Boston, San Antonio, and that was really it. And Utah, we're all we're all pretty good. Why yeah. why are we in this world now with this five jerseys? The Hornets wore five different jerseys this year. How are you supposed yeah. to create any sense of like brand identity when you're five jerseys? This is too many. Can we just come back uh, to like yeah. there being remember what everyone used to wear? If you were at home, you wore a white jersey, and if you're on the road, you wore a different color. These are such simpler times. Like uh, now, the reason they're doing it is just purely for profit, for money, right? It's that people buy more jerseys, new jerseys. They get people to post where people have got their 50 jerseys. And I just think the people who've got like 50 jerseys, that's great. But like in the world, I don't know, in the world, there's so much crap's going on. Like how much money are you spending collecting all these jerseys? I, I don't know. It's all just for like, Pure profit for the NBA, and I'm a bit uh, I stick it to the man, uh, as Jack Black likes to say. So I don't know. I, I like that mentality for sure. It's a little New Orleans Hornetsy as well. I saw a lot of people saying that. Yeah, I saw that too. Understandable that that leaves a little bit of a sour yeah, taste in people's mouth, but I, yeah. I, I do agree that the colors look nice in like the computer images that you see online. But on court, we will see. Until then, they are perfectly fine. NBA jersey but with that now we have nothing left so Chase I'm looking forward to jumping back on here and talking NBA basketball Um, Hornets fans keep us in your thoughts make sure you check out allhornets.com if you enjoyed the podcast leave us a 5 star review if you want to buy us a t-shirt and really support the podcast go to the store in the show notes of this episode we will catch you next week see you guys